Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. ask you a question. Are you delaying something in your life? Are you delaying something in your life? I want to tell you about a guy. There was a guy I met a few. Are we together? Are we together? So there was a guy I met a few years ago. A guy I met a few years ago. Someone counseling him. We had a bit of a relationship. His name was, is Chibweze. All right? Chibweze. Of course, I'm not revealing the identity of the person, so I'm, I'm using a facetious name. So Chibweze was very, he was very gifted at what he did. He's one of the, you know, very, very gifted person. And he's one of the most talented people I've met in terms of what they, in terms of their, their actual uh, practice. Now, but he'd always, his, his gifting was raw. He didn't really have formal education on the thing or formal tertiary education on the thing. So he had always desired to go abroad to further his studies. And he'd actually had some opportunities to go. He had some opportunities to go abroad to do it, but he did not. He didn't do it. And then you ask why, because I asked him why he had not done it. Well, the reason was that he felt he needed to settle down before he eventually traveled. You see, because he had a bay called Tosa. He and Tosa had been dating for a while. And because he knew that if I didn't settle down before I, I got married, once I go abroad, there is a chance that my lack of being settled will make me start to look at some other bays around. He felt if he hadn't put a ring on it, that either himself or Tosan will not really be settled with each other. And so he felt the only way he, sh- he will be able to study and study effectively and study well is if he settled down. Now, the one problem was that um, pretty much every week, he came to meet me about a problem that he and Tosan were going through. Pretty much every week. Like, I was getting tired until I called Tosa, right? I didn't really have a relationship with Tosa. And I said, you know what? I know what is needed. I'm only talking with Chibweze. Let me start talking to Tosa. So I started talking to Tosa as well and told her, gave her some counsel. The only problem is that Tosa started calling me every week as well. So you can imagine I'm dealing with Chibweze every week. I'm dealing with Tosa every week. And this happened for like a year plus. Let me ask you, brilliant and beautiful people, if you are in my own, just don't, don't empathize with them, empathize with me. <laughs> if you are in my situation or my condition, maybe more, what would you advise them? They should what? They should what? All right. I try to hint them. But as we realize, we found in the other 
in the first talk. Those guys would have considered doing anything, anything, even if it meant sacrificing to Shongo. <laughs> they would have done anything but to break up. That was the only thing they, they didn't put on the table. They weren't right for each other, but they weren't going to break up. And for Chibweze in particular, because he knew that he couldn't go abroad, he was delaying that until he got married to Tosa. His life was delayed. So I ask again, are you like Chibweze, waiting or delaying certain things in your life until you settle down? Now, in last talk, we've already challenged the notion that it's the destination of created things, like marriage, that settles you or gives you rest. It's not the destination, it's the direction. And then that direction has to lead you to Christ. So it's getting back to God's presence through Jesus Christ that gives you rest, that enables you to face the highs and the lows of life. This time, we want to talk about how a settled or rested single in Christ live their lives. So if I am rested, if I am rested, yet I'm single, how then can I live my life in an optimal way? Because I tell you this, part of the biggest problems I would say we're having in this country or we're having in our society, right, from just speaking from a psychological and sociological standpoint is too many singles are not living their best to the, to the best of their capacities. Too many singles. And I say that because too many singles are just unsettled and restless. So I just want to help us a little bit in the short time that we have in the next talk to talk about how you as a single person, if you find that rest in Christ, how can you then live your life in a way that unleashes your best potential? Now to do that, this talk I've now titled Settled and Fruitful. I'm going to do something. Um, we're going to talk in two different two sections. So the first one is a little bit of theology, which I'm sure you don't expect to find in a singles uh, seminar, all right? And then after the theology, we'll talk about some practices, all right? But um, you are brilliant people, so I thought it would be nice for us to have a little bit of that, okay? So let's talk about this whole thing on singles and fruitful. Now, I use the word fruitful rather than, because if I ask you, can a single person be successful in life? I mean, some of you say, yes, no, it depends on what you mean by success, right? There are many single people who have started, they've done, they had startups, you know, they are listed um, under the 40 people, 40 under the age of 40, something like that, right? Huh? 30 under 30, no, 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 uh, 40 is the new 30, yeah, yeah, all right? So 30 on, okay, all right, let's go with yours. 30 under 30, all right? So you say, well, successful, uh, you know, it depends. It's quite relative. But I, and so I prefer the word fruitful, right? Can a single person be fruitful? Because fruitful, I think, is more holistic and it's more biblical. So can a single person be fruitful in life? Now, if I pose that question to you, like, are you delaying some level of fruitfulness in your life? If I pose that question to you, I immediately see someone like Antilola coming in and trying to interrupt this conversation. Because you say, have you not read Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28? This is the reason why I say you are not settled. Because for you to be settled, you need to be, uh, for you to 
be settled, settled, I will see the, uh, the fruit of it, fruitfulness. But you can't be fruitful if you are single because of Genesis 1, 26 to 28. What is Genesis 1, 26, 28? Well, how about the background before that? The background is Genesis 1, 1, 25. God created the world, and he created everything in it. Then on the sixth day, God said, let us create. So he's been creating so many things. He's been creating inanimate things, and now he creates animate things. He creates stuff that's going to fly in the air, birds. He creates stuff that's going to be in the water, fish, and mummy water. And then he creates, <laughs> and then he creates um, things that will crawl on the ground, beasts. But then he gets to a final creation. And he says, let us make what? Mankind in our own image. Man, uh, male and female, he created them. And then we get to verse 28. Look at what happened. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So some of us will and, and Lola will read this passage and say, this is why no matter what you achieve, you cannot be fruitful until you marry and have children. Because that's what God told Adam and Eve. This is why, actually, for a lot of you who are itching to get married, itching to get married, once I get married, it will all be settled. Now lie. You know why? You know why? Because after you get married and you come back from your honeymoon, the next thing is everybody is looking for at the lady. When she coughs, ah, <laughs> why are you coughing? Are you feeling well? <laughs> you know, every, every little symptom now is all about we trying to spot whether or not. And, you know, as a mind person, I've never actually done this. I'm, I'm not like all those mind people that judge people. I know some newly married people, I've never spoken to them about when yeah, so I'm just talking about other people. I can't talk about myself. I'm beyond that. I'm not that. <laughs> see, see them. Have you ever heard of a pastor lying? <laughs> that means, when are we going to? When, when is it happening? He just got married two weeks ago. And as far as I'm concerned, the wife is, she's so well. <laughs> Although his wife is not here. That means, why is she not here? She has neck pain. You see? You see? You see? You see, at that point, every symptom, even neck pain itself could be, ah. So you're trying to get married. No, actually, for many people in this society, marriage is only the first step to where we are going. You have a, your stuff, you, at that point, start, everybody starts looking at your, 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 your clothes. Once you start, ladies that just get married, please, when you're in church, don't adjust. Just walk. Because once you start adjusting, you say, ah, why are you adjusting? Is it getting tight for you? <laughs> That's not an innocent question. So they say, you see, the only way, according to God's word, that you can achieve something, no matter how much you've achieved in life, until you get married and you have children, you are not really, you've not really achieved. You've not really made anything out of yourself. Except, I think they're wrong. Now, is it that this passage has nothing to do with having children and getting married? No, it does. Is that what this passage exhaustively speaks to? No. Because if it exhaustively speaks to just getting married and having children, 
Let me give you four reasons I don't think is true. There are people that get married and don't have kids, right? Not, not intentionally, but they are unable to have kids. Does this mean they are no longer fruitful? One. Two, as I've said before, and I'm not going to say here, but I've, I've spoken about this and particularly last year, the Bible does hold singleness up as a viable option of being truly human. Who is the most truly human person that has ever lived? Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus Christ is the most truly human person in, in all his expression. Was Jesus married? Don't start giving me all the super spiritual answer. Well, he was married to the bride of, you know, his tribe. <laughs> was Jesus, he, he knew what marriage was, right? He performed his first miracle at a marriage, wedding ceremony. Was Jesus married? The greatest theologian of the church, the greatest missionary the church has ever known, the Apostle Paul, was he ever married? Uh, yeah, I've heard, I've heard the argument about him. We're not being sure. I know that. Let me tell you, you, you can't read the Bible honestly, right? You can't read the Bible honestly. I would even say deeply. I think you start, you are, you are trying to split hairs at some point. You start, you're, you're just trying to split hairs. I've heard the theory about, well, actually, he left his, 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 um, his, um, his family somewhere. I mean, it's so hard to read accent. There's just no indication of that. You have to imply and imply and imply. Paul was not married, all right? He wanted, said, I wish people were like me. He wasn't married. Now, so Paul wasn't married. Jesus wasn't married. So what does that mean? You don't need to truly live out full, your full humanity. And this passage is about expressing our humanity because it's after God created them that he then said, go ahead and live this out. So he cannot exhaustively be speaking about being married and having children. I'll even give one more. Or two, um, um, yeah, uh, one well, two more. How many have I given? Two. Let me give you a third one. If Adlola is right, because she would say something like this, don't forget what God said. God created all of these things, and every time God was creating it, he said that it is not good. He said that everything was what? Good. And then he got into a particular place, and then he finally said that it something is what? Not good. Isn't it? And what did he say? It is not good for a man to be single. Am I right? It's not good for a man to be what? Single. Okay, for a woman to be single. The problem was not singleness. The problem was loneliness. And they're not the same thing. Now, sometimes singleness can lead to loneliness, but that is not an inevitable conclusion. The problem was, it said, it is not good for a man to be what? Alone. It's not good for a man to be alone. And loneliness, actually, more and more, as we see, um, quite sadly, um, more and more um, suicides or people attempting suicides in our society. Uh, one of the big reasons for that is that mental illness called loneliness. It's, an, it's a real thing. But it's not necessarily because someone is single that they are lonely. 
And then I would say finally, and I will expand a little bit more on this point. As we see the progression of the Bible, so for instance, after this creation, not too long after, we then see in chapter 3 that there was something called sin. The reason why the Bible is big, right, is that after Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 1, a lot, a lot of things went wrong after that. And the Bible exists because, really, because the Bible is really a story. It's telling a story. That's the main genre of the Bible. Even though it has laws, even though it has proverbs, the main genre of the Bible is a story. And so the story of the Bible is this context that was good was messed up by something happening, and then God further continuously revealing the story that eventually is resolved in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? Do you understand me? So as we see the story unfolding, we get to the place of fulfillment. That's why your Bible goes this way. That's why Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have come to what? Fulfill it. You know what? Fulfillment is, is, is that something that was developing comes to its actual conclusion, and the thing that actually shows us what that thing was meant to be. This, this is why this thing exists. So this part of the Bible that I'm reading is part of what we call the law. The law is the first five books of the Bible. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the law because the resolution of this thing is actually going to find itself in Jesus Christ and what he's done. So let me explain a little bit about the resolution of this thing. Because we're going to read a passage at the end of... of, of uh, uh, um, Jesus' ministry, all right? But first, I want us to go back to Genesis 1.28. I want us to notice three things about that passage. Let's go back to it again. Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. First thing I want you to notice is this, God's supreme authority in heaven and earth. God has supreme authority. According to this part, he has supreme because he's speaking to them, he's going to tell them some things. But the reason he can speak to them and tell them those things is because he has supreme authority over them. Why does he have supreme authority over them and over the heavens and the earth? Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God did what? Created the heavens and the earth. So God has the right to be able to speak to anything in, in, in the heavens and the earth. Why? Because he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. So these people are not meant to live their own lives. They are meant to live lives under God because God has supreme authority in heavens and the earth. All right? First thing, he has supreme authority in heavens and the earth. Second thing is this. On the basis of that supreme authority, God commissioned them. He sent them out. He said, go and multiply, subdue the earth, all right? So he commissioned them for something. He commissioned them on a worldwide mission. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill what? The earth. So their commission was a worldwide adventure, a worldwide mission. Are we together? So the first thing is, God has supreme authority in heaven and the earth, right? The second thing is that God commissioned them. And then the third thing is that God blessed them. Notice verse 28 again. It says, God blessed them. So on the basis of my authority, I am sending you on a mission. But for you to go into that mission, I am blessing you so that you will achieve that mission. Are we together? So that is 
the structure of this passage. Now, after Jesus died, and Jesus rose again from the dead, and he spent some time with his disciples, he is now about to ascend to heaven. He's about to ascend to heaven. And then he's going to give his final words in heaven, as he's ascending to heaven. Now, I want us to read those final words in Matthew. We're going to combine two uh, scriptures from two books of the Bible. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 19, and then Luke chapter 24, verse 50 to 51. 28, 18 to 19, and Luke 24, 50 to 51. Now, let's go. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority where? In heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been what? Given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then I jump to Luke. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. What do you see? Between Genesis 1, 28 and the passage I just read. Do you see the same structure there? What's the first thing? We said the first thing is that God has what? Supreme authority in heaven and the earth. What did Jesus say? All authority has been given to me in heaven. All authority in the heaven and the earth has been what? Given to me. We then said on account of the fact that God has the authority in heaven and the earth, what did he do? He could commission them. He told them, go into all the world and do this. Jesus says what? Go into all the earth and make disciples of what? All nations. And then we also said that in order for that mission to be fulfilled, God did what? He blessed them. And here we see that Jesus is blessing them. What is going on? Here's what's going on. There was a creation that God made, and that creation, God said, go bless, do all of these things. However, if you are going to be, if you are going to flourish, if you are going to live out properly, you have to live your life as though I am God and you are not. Satan came in, and Satan tempted them with the exact reverse of that. He says, look, did God tell you not to do this thing? The reason why God is telling you to do this thing is that God knows that when you do this thing, you would actually become like God. And he was right in that they will try to be like God. And so every time we try to be like God, which the Bible calls idolatry, we end up breaking the commandments of God. And when we break the commandments of God, what we are doing is like we are breaking the instructor's manual. And what happens? Everything starts to disintegrate. But God out of love is the kind of God that puts all broken pieces together. He restores them and makes them better than their original design. So what did God do? He sent his son. The example are the best prototype, if you like, of true humanity. He shows us exactly what humanity is meant to be like. He lives the life that we should have lived. But ultimately, he dies. Why? For his own sin? No, he couldn't sin because the essence of sin is to be like, is to try to be like God. 
But Jesus was God come to humanity. So he couldn't sin. He showed us what humanity was meant to be like, but he died. Why did he die? Because after living the, the life that we should have lived, he died the death that we should have died. And so when he rose up, he rose up not as the old creation, not after the order of Adam. He rose up as a new creation, the first of the new creation. And so when he rises up, the first of the new creation, but still also God. As God, he can command those who will believe on him, the next of the new creation, to go into all the world. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? It is the Holy Spirit that gives them new life. It's the Holy Spirit that makes them born again. By being born again, he's saying there was one creation after your mom's birth, right? Not after the will of man, not after blood, nor um, um, not after the will of man, not after blood, right? But after the order of a new creation, the Holy Spirit gives us new life. So that when we believe in Jesus Christ and we receive the Holy Spirit, we have started a new creation. In other words, Jesus' commission to them, this Matthew chapter 28, is showing us what Genesis 1, is retelling the story of Genesis 1, but it is doing it in fulfillment. I have come to fulfill the law. So when Jesus says, go into all the world and be fruitful, whereas the first creation, fruitfulness in some measure, and filling the earth, was to give birth to children, the new creation is to give birth to spiritual children. Making disciples of all nations is to, if you like, continue to populate the earth with the new creation. Amen. So when we come to Jesus Christ, we are settled. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we can become fruitful. It is not marriage that makes you fruitful according to what Jesus has done. It is coming to Jesus, settling in him, and then receiving the Holy Spirit. You have no option but to be fruitful. And so if you are delaying your life because you feel I can't really achieve these things here and here and here because, you know, ultimately I still need to settle down. You are wasting your life. Because Jesus has deposited so much in you that is waiting and is sitting down there. You are like Chibweze saying, <laughs> delaying everything because you feel, I can't do this thing because I am not yet settled. We know what settling means is what to be married. So, change your mind. Marriage does not bring settlement. Coming to Jesus Christ brings settlement. Children is not the sign of fruitfulness. Receiving the Holy Spirit leads to fruitfulness. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Bible says he is the sign or the seal of, he is the seal of what? Of, um, of, uh, he is the seal of our, no, no. Yeah, the seal of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. This seal is like a signet ring or it is like an engagement ring. When the Holy Spirit is poured out on us, it is the sign that we have been betrothed to Jesus Christ. Paul said that I have betrothed you to Christ as, as a bride, to one groom. So, 
if we come to Christ as being settled, as I said, if we come to Christ, we have no option but to be settled. But to receive the Holy Spirit, we have no option but to be fruitful. You know, some of us would say, yeah, I know. But can't I receive multiple gifts from God? You know, like, like the, Bible of, uh, the Bible says that God gives, you know, he, 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 he gives gifts to his children. And that marriage is a gift because it seems like you're trashing marriage now. Why can't I have that gift from God at the same time as being a Christian? Now, um, as I said, if you've missed it before, I'm married. Hmm? I'm married. And you know how it works in marriage, uh, guys and girls. For those of you maybe in, a, in, a, in an engagement relationship, I'm going to give you some advice now. You don't have to pay me for it. It's free. In the beginning, before you get married, um, I don't know why it works like this, but it's the guy that gives gifts. It's the guy that gives gifts. So back in the day, I just used to shower my wife with gifts. You know, like, wait, don't say, not that I'm not saying. I just used to shower with gifts. It was like first time I met her. Ah, now, wow, yeah. is that a frown on your face? That means you need something. What do you want? Tell me. I exist for what you want. That's exactly. In fact, so buy gifts, anything. In fact, we had, I had a saying. And some of you have heard it. It was an aggressive thing because it used to get me very angry when my wife wasn't, when my babe wasn't really having what she wants. I told her, I said, baby gets what baby what wants. That's it. Settled. I hope, how many of you who are dating guys, have, have they ever told you that you get what you want? If they've never told you that, just break it off now. Break it off. Break it off. It's not worth it. Baby gets what baby, she had a great time. Why? Because I was giving her a great, I was made to give her a great time. Then we got married. <laughs> they say all good things must what? Come to an end. That's what I'm telling you, but if he's not giving you now, ah. <laughs> but the reason why it comes to an end is that because when every good thing comes to an end, you didn't know. For people like us, right, blessed and highly favored, when, all, when this particular good thing comes to an end, you know what happens? Another one is beginning. When one door closes, the other one is what? Opening. When the door of me giving her gifts closed, the door of me receiving gifts opened. <laughs> Sowing in the night and reaping in what? In the morning. Ladies, I hope you are saving. So my wife gives me gifts. She gives me gifts. She's giving me, you know, she's bought me um, um, clothes. She bought me, um, that's what she bought me, um, a set of pajamas. I wonder why. <laughs> maybe she just didn't like the fact that I was, no, nah, I can't, that's not, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not, this is, we're in church, okay? So she's bought me clothes. She's taking me out for lunch. You know, she's written me letters. Bought me wine, bought, you know, my favorite musician. No, no, she doesn't like my favorite musician. But, but she's giving me, you know, she's giving me loads of gifts. You know the best gift she's ever given me? You know the best gift? 
Huh? Who is answering? The children. The best gift she's given me, that's a very, that's a close second. The best gift my wife has ever given me is the gift of herself. Oh, it's the truth. It's the truth. In other words, what am I saying? If you gave me a choice, if you gave me a choice, the surprise lunches, the nice, the, the card, if you gave me all oh, the shirts, all of those things, and you gave me the gift, that is, she gave me all of those before we got married, and then she still broke up with me. Or actually that the gift of herself, knowing that we will be, I'm, I'm secure in, in her life. I know that she loves me up until when she dies. She's committed to me up until any of us dies. I'll always choose that. Because the gift of herself cannot be compared to other gifts that she gets. The greatest gift that God gives to us is not the gift of marriage, it's the gift of himself. And you have to come to that point. Now, if you understand what the Bible says about God, that God is three persons in one being, then you understand when the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave. His only begotten son. By God, the Father giving us God the Son, it is God giving what? Himself. God's gift to us is in Jesus Christ. The question is this. You have Jesus here or you have marriage here. It's not all the time that God is going to give you those two gifts. The question is this. Have you received the biggest gift? And then on the first day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching, when they saw that they were speaking in tongues and all of those things, he preached the gospel to them. He, they asked him, what shall we do? And what did Peter say? Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, and you will do what? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because God is three persons in one. Am I saying that marriage is not good? Of course not. I'm enjoying my marriage. I can see that it is a gift from God. But that is what it is. It's a gift. And no gift is guaranteed. But here is the point, especially if you're a Christian here. If God has given you the gift of himself, you insult that gift by being unsettled until you marry. And you insult that gift further by saying this, I cannot be fruitful until I get married. It's an insult on what God has done in Jesus Christ. Don't delay your life. Don't delay things that you are called to do. Because you are waiting for one guy or one girl to come and complete. This is what Paul was saying. And he gives, he gives us advice. But I have to tell you this, guys. Our broken society and world needs an army of singles who are settled in Christ and fruitful in the spirit. What are you waiting for? Here's what Paul was saying. Because singles have an advantage. Listen to what Paul says in this passage in 1 Corinthians 7. Verse 32 to 35, as I try and close. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How he can please the Lord. An unmarried, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. 
An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. You know what Paul is saying? Did you notice what he said? He said that an unmarried person and a married person's interests are divided, but the unmarried person is devoted to the Lord. Say this with me. Married people's interests are divided. Or married people's interests are devoted. Again, this Paul is the one that writes to us and tells us that marriage is a gift from God. So Paul is not bashing marriage here. But Paul is also pointing to a reality that you can live your singleness in true fulfillment. And in fact, you have advantages over people who are not married. How can you live these things out? Well, let me give you five ways to, let me give you five ways or advantages of being single, being single and being fruitful. Being single and being fruitful. Be more active in seeing more people come to Christ. Don't get me wrong. All married people are meant to engage their non-Christian friends and try to win them to Christ and all of that, right? But I can tell you, there are some people that want to be in this talk, listen to this talk. They keep going to go and look out after their children. Paul says that the married person's interests are what? Divided to their, to their spouse and also to what? To the Lord. They know that the Lord says we should evangelize, but the Lord also says that I have to serve my husband and I have to serve my wife. Do you see what I'm saying? But a single person, you have, whether people, are, whether you agree to this or not, a single person has more time on their hands. You do have more time on your hands. Single people have the unique opportunity, and I really do believe this because I think Jesus shows us a pattern, that we can engage with the world without being soiled by the world. If all the things that you ever do is to only mix up with your Christian friends, I don't think you are living as a Christian. Because if you, live your, if you only mix with your Christian friends, how are you going to fulfill God's commandment for you to go and make disciples of all nations? Some of you have non-Christian friends at work, and after work, they say, hey, let's go out. It's not a church day, but you want to go back home, and you just want to, I can't be following these non-believers to go and do this thing. But if you don't build any relationship with them, how are you then going to evangelize them? And I know there are dangers there where some people always follow their unbelieving friends everywhere. They never actually, never actually spread the gospel. In fact, they are having more effect on you than you are having on them. So, of course, you have to be careful. But I don't think that the answer is to retreat. That has never been. We are the called out ones so that we can be sent out. The called out ones are the sent out ones. You are called out of darkness into his light, and then you are sent out into darkness to bring more people into the light. And as singles, you have more time on your hands. Second, develop yourself as best as you can. Work well. Take those exams that you need to take. Take those certifications that you need to take now, because I can tell you this. If you are working and you have a spouse, and then maybe you then have children, this is the reason why Many married people fail uh, ACCA. It's very soon. They just keep failing, failing. Because they don't have enough time to read. 
Now, I'm not saying you cannot pass those things. I'm not saying you can't, you know, you're trying to, oh, you're an animator, you need to be able to do this new design, you're into photography, you're into, you know, you want to go for that course. One, you even have more disposable income, right? You know what I mean by disposable income? That is, you have more money to be able to save. And two, you have more time on your hands. You can be fruitful in developing yourself as a person, as a single person, in a way, in a unique way that married people don't have. So develop yourself. Third, be more generous with your money. Ah. And when I mean more generous with your money, I, need specific, I mean in specific places. To your church, to missionaries, and to NGOs. I just said now that you have more, dispos more disposable income, isn't it? You do. I'm not saying that when you do get married that you won't have got into a new job and, or you, may, you probably, after a few years, you may be promoted, you have more money. But I'm talking about as a percentage of what you currently earn. Because it's very possible for you to be earning 250K now and to be giving 50K of that. If you give 50K of 250K, well, how many percent is that? 20%. The accountants and the mathematicians answer that. The lawyers were like, the corporate lawyers answered it, not the, uh, not the Aluta lawyers. 20%. But then you start earning 1.5 million, 1.5 million, right? And you start giving 150,000. 150,000 is more than 50,000, isn't it? Is that person more generous? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Now, I'm not saying that because here's the point. The person can actually have more expenses as a married person. But you're able to live a more simple lifestyle because you're single. Use that. It is part of the way God expects you to be devoted to him. Invest more in the work of, the, of God's kingdom by being single. It is a way for you to be fruitful. Now, I'm saying this because I want to treat us as adults. There may be many people telling you, all they're telling you is just develop yourself and, and you know, spend yourself largesse and all of that. If you do that, fine, you may be living the fruitful life according to this world, but not as a Christian. And God is looking for fruitful people to change our society. Give more as a single. Fourth, take up socially just causes now. I'm not talking about just protesting everywhere there are protests. But actually, there are things. This, in our society now, we have issues that have to do with women being abused. I know some people in our church recently went to a women's correction, correction facility for women that have been abused. Many of us don't even know those kind of places exist. There are so many things that in a broken society, believe me, there are so many pockets here and there of people who are just looking for people who have their own lives integrated to come and help them because their lives are disintegrated. Can you be the hand and the feet of Jesus to some broken people in our society? I'm saying if you are not engaged with something, maybe in church or whatever, on a Saturday, plan. You have 52 Saturdays in this year. Plan and say, I'm going to give seven of those Saturdays towards this particular cause. Don't say, I don't have time. If you started planning for it, you would actually see that you can do it. But if you are just only involved in your life, yourself alone, guess what? You will not be fruitful. And the final thing on this one is this. Being settled means in Christ and having the spirit and being fruitful means 
If somebody says, oh, some people are just sitting down waiting for that person to come. And that's why they fall into many bad relationships. Because after a while, you are desperate for that person to come. Because really, your life only consists in, I'm going to work, and when I get back home, I watch Netflix, and I'm waiting for that, my spouse to come. So that when that spouse comes to meet you, they didn't really find you really doing anything. However, if you are being fruitful, no one can accuse you of not doing anything. When you do that, if somebody comes into your life that is going to come against the fruitfulness of God in your life, no matter how, what age you are, you will not feel bad about saying, thank you very much, but no thanks. Settled people make the best decisions. Fruitful people live out those decisions. Now, it's okay, well, if that's the way to express that, the reason why many of us aren't expressing it, I'll tell you, is because we've adopted habits that do not lead to fruitfulness. And we don't pick up habits that lead to fruitfulness. Should I say that again? The reason why many of us are not expressing fruitfulness in our lives is that we've adopted habits that don't lead to fruitfulness or we've not picked up habits that lead to fruitfulness. So I want to leave us with three. Three that touch on both. It's not exhaustive, but these three I want you to think about because this is what is going to help you unleash the fruitfulness in your life. Or if you get rid of it, it will at least stop you from not being fruitful. One, watch out for distractions. Listen, there are only few things in this world, as we know, recorded history, that have so changed the course of human history that it's almost like you're creating new human beings. One of them was the founding of the printing press. All right? Or I can even go back and say when um, technology went removed from the Bronze Age, uh, the Stone Age to the Bronze Age, and, and things like that. But then I won't say the printing press. Why? Is it that there were in books before? No, they were written on scrolls and things like that, but it was only for an elite. The moment the printing press was established, for instance, we know that the Bible was now produced mass. In mass, that challenged the establishment, the established authority of the church, the Catholic Church at the time, led to the Protestant Revolution, uh, Protestant Reformation, but also led to wars. It brings in both, uh, both uh, good and evil with it. That changed society as we know it. The next is probably what you call the Industrial Revolution. Most people, when they were born, they did exactly what their parents did. Because you grew up, in fact, many people them, their parents and their grandparents all lived in the same estate. Most of them were farmers. All of a sudden, with the Industrial Revolution, many of the things that you and I take for granted, you could actually say, I'm not going to do what my parents did. I'm actually going to that other city to work. It led to the development of cities. And also, universities now became a huge thing because they needed the people, all right, the knowledge power that was going to work in those industries. So the mobile world, the fact that I say I can, I can be born in Ijebode, but I'm living in Lagos, that happened because of the Industrial Revolution. The next big one was what we, with the internet. All of a sudden, the world is becoming smaller. I mean, I can push the, the development of the, uh, the airplane, but the world is becoming smaller than the internet. And then, if you notice, some of these revolutions I talked about, they're so far away from each other. But really, after the, industrial, uh, the internet revolution, we had the social media revolution. And what has accelerated that is the invention of this, the smartphone. 
there are studies going on now to say they don't understand. The smartphone has totally changed us, and most of you have lived in this change. Why? Because most of you in your lives have been, you've existed before the smartphone came. Now, all of a sudden, we can't think of what it is to live life without the smartphone. Because coming with the, there was a personal computer that was invented that changed many things, but the personal computer was at home. Even a laptop, you still had to open the laptop and put on the laptop. But now, you have your personal computer, all you just have to do is to press like this. And that has brought in unprecedented levels of what we call distraction. People say that on the average, people look at their smartphones. Some research saying on the average, you look at your smartphone, everyone, every three minutes. Some people go to the bathroom. As they are doing their thing, they are looking at their smartphone. You are watching, you are eating your food, and you are looking at your smartphone. You are watching TV, TV, you put on the TV, and you are still looking at another thing on the smartphone. And you are in church, or you are trying to have your devotions, and you are still looking what? At your smartphone. Do you know what's happening? A distracted mind is an undeveloped mind. And an undeveloped mind is an unfruitful mind. Some people will say, you know, so a lot of people tell me, you know what? I don't like sermons that are over 20 minutes. When I grew up, sermons were, I'm not joking, the church I was in, two hours. And many times we used to have two sermons in one Sunday. But many of us now, 10, 15, 20 minutes, do you know why you are saying that? Because you have lived a life of what? Distractions. You can't read an article of two pages. In fact, on Facebook, when somebody writes something, once you see Seymour, you scroll up. <laughs> when you see a video, it's more than two minutes. This is why we as a church, this video that you said that we could not do, if we do it more than two minutes, nobody's going to watch it. And so when we are meant to be developed in God, when we are meant to meditate on his word day and night, our development, our culture as people who are distracted, it leads us to not being developed in Christ, and that leads us to not being fruitful. You have to be intentional with the things that distract you from being unfruitful. Can I give you a tip? This is what I've done because I, I remember notifications were killing me. The last thing I do before I sleep, no. The, the last thing I do before I sleep is to pray. But the last thing I do before I pray is to put my phone on airplane mode. How many of you wake up at 3 a.m. and you start chatting with someone? Why? Because you've seen a notification. Do you know what I realized after putting my phone on airplane mode? Do you know what I realized when I woke up? And so when I wake up, when I wake up, the first thing I don't see is the first thing I, I don't I, I, I don't see is a notification. Because I read my Bible. The first thing I do is to read my Bible. And I read my Bible on my phone. I don't see a notification. I'm able to start off my day not with somebody's message of crisis or somebody's message of I love you or somebody's message of I don't start it off. I start it off with God. I have developed that over years now. I can't think of not doing it. Be intentional. Be intentional about not being distracted. Second thing, sorry I'm taking long. Guard your devotions. Guard your devotion. If being distracted turns the non-urgent the non things and starts to make them feel urgent, being devoted 
focuses your mind on what is important. Remember what it says? It says that the unmarried person is devoted to the Lord. Devotion implies focus. It, de- it implies focused attention, concentrated attention. Many of us say, I don't want to be religious. Me and God, we just speak as we go. You know, after all, the Bible says, pray without what? Cease Jesus Christ was God. He always spoke with God. He has always spoken with God for all eternity. Jesus himself had to have dedicated times when he prayed. So who are you? Before you come and say, I, I am Jesus, I am God, I know some people believe that. That's absolute nonsense, by the way. If you are not intentional, and the point I mean is this, guard it, be intentional. There's a reason the Bible says morning and evening, meditate. I don't say, I am so busy, you don't know my life. Who gave you that life? And who gave you those things that make you busy? Who? God. And all of a sudden, you want to not have time for him? If you are constantly distracted, you'll be unsettled and you'll be unfruitful. When you start to be devoted to the Lord, you will find yourself to be working out. Not that those things don't matter, but those things take perspective and you start finding yourself to be fruitful. Be devoted Start your morning with God. Maybe in the afternoon. Have five minutes, ten minutes, because many things would have happened in the day. Somebody would have annoyed you. Haters would be around. The devil would be tempting you. And so if you just have five to ten minutes of just the whole world realigns, you become more patient. You don't actually, you don't respond in the anger that you wanted to respond to. You don't all of a sudden say yes to that new tempting uh, invitation to go to that very nice party when you have already committed to that um, NGO that you'll be there, or you've committed to church, that you don't start making decisions impulsively. Impulsive people are not fruitful people. And then finally, be active in your church community. If you belong to a healthy church, I know not all churches are healthy, but if you belong to a healthy church, the reason for this is that that is the first avenue that God God expects you to live out your fruitfulness. He said, do good unto all men. Especially, that is, in, they have, it has a special place. Especially the household of the faith. You should be committed to a, a church. And you should be active and working there. Because don't forget, as a single person, you have more time on your hands. You are the ones that should start with church. I just don't understand. Please, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not condemning anyone. But I tell you, if we had to do a single event and a married event, right, married people always come earlier. Single people, for some reason in Lagos, just don't come early. Right? You should be the one opening the church. You should be the one asking them, what can we do? It's like, oh man. You know, if you do two services, one is 8 a.m., the other one is 11 a.m., which one do you think singles come for more for? Be quiet. <laughs> we told you to come 11 because that's when you come. If you didn't tell you to come 11, you won't come to church. All right, but I'm not, so I'm not trying to cast aspersions here. But there's a way we almost say, I'm single, therefore I can laze about. I can just live my life in freedom. And freedom actually equates to doing what I want. No, freedom is not the absence of restrictions. Freedom is the ability to do 
the right things under the right restrictions. If you are truly free, for freedom Christ has set us free, if you are truly free, you will live your life in fruitfulness. Live it under God's restrictions. So be active in your church community. If you say, I am lonely, I am lonely because I'm single, be involved in community. You will see that you can be single and not be lonely at all. Be devoted there to your brothers and sisters. Devoted that there are some married people in your, in your community that need your help. Show yourself to be fruitful. Chibweza and Tosa, it didn't end well. Their relationship ended badly. But you said that that's what you tell them to do. But it did. It ended badly. I think they needed to learn to be settled in Christ and then see themselves to be fruitful. It was two unsettled people coming into a relationship. There was only one way it could turn out. It's not even that they even, it's not just that they unsettled themselves more. It was that they were not bearing fruit again. And I see so many Chibwezes and so many Tosans. Either they are together or they are single. And it's multiplied in this city. And what's happening is that where God has put people to be builders, to be reconcilers in our city, those people, because they are unsettled, they get on Twitter, they abuse one another. We fight over things that we shouldn't fight over. But I'm asking you here, will you be fruitful? Will you find your rest and your, your settledness in Jesus Christ? As I close this, I want to put a challenge to you. It's a one-year challenge. And please hold this. It's a one-year challenge to you. Based on what you've heard, what definite steps are you going to take to demonstrate fruitfulness in this next one year that you have not done before? What definite steps are you going to take to demonstrate fruitfulness in the coming year in a way that you've never done before? Think about it. Write it down. I'll give you 30 seconds. Write it down. Think about it. Write it down. What definite steps, what definite steps are you going to take to demonstrate fruitfulness in this coming year? I'm not giving you all the rest of your life. But in this coming year, to demonstrate the kind of fruitfulness that you've not seen in your life hitherto, what steps are you going to take? And I said, think about it. I said, write it down. Next thing is that you pray about it. Because you need God to bless it. And then go and impact your world. Go and impact your world. Our society is calling out for those who are settled and those who are fruitful to make an impact. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.